I wanted to share some sad news for myself and the triathlon community. Over the weekend, my friend and fellow triathlete, Bethany Rutledge, passed away in her sleep. Bethany was a fixture on the Atlanta triathlon scene as a co-director of the Atlanta Triathlon Club and a frequent site on the top of local and national podiums. In recent years, Bethany dedicated much of her time to encouraging more women to join the sport through her Grit and Dirt podcast and her book, The Courage to Try. Myself, Alyssa, and our producer, Sarah, have all been guests on Bethany's podcast, and I think I speak for all of us in saying that our deepest condolences go out to all of Bethany's friends and family, including her husband and two young sons, and the entire Atlanta triathlon community. I know Bethany will be deeply missed. As we receive any information on how to donate to help support her family or honor her memory, we will be posting that through the Iron Women channels, so please keep an eye out for that. Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why do they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor, and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, how has training been going this last week? I know that you are prepping for 70.3 Worlds, so I'm sure you had a big week. And how did that go? My training has been pretty good. I, you know, I, I think 
I've appreciated my recent training a lot and I had a pretty tough training weekend. I kind of was trying to uh, simulate some of the demands of the 70.3 Worlds course. So I, I went to this place called Beartooth Pass, which is, it's a really, you know, significant climb that's about two hours away from my home here in Bozeman and it has a lot of switchbacks and so I was doing repeats on the switchbacks trying to kind of simulate the course in Nice and practicing you know going hard up and practicing my descending because it's no secret that I I spend a lot of time riding indoors my descending is probably not my strongest suit and the course in Nice does require some significant descending so I was uh, trying to do that. I I will say I still have plenty to work on, um, but, you know, I'm trying. And one of the hardest things about training in Montana, I mean, we had these incredible roads, incredible views, relatively low traffic. But with that, you end up with like very few gas stations and very few ways to kind of rehydrate or refuel. And I thought I carried enough water, but I was about... I want to say an hour from my car and I was totally out of fluids and it was, it was a rough, ugly last hour of my ride. I actually, I made it to a gas station and got some fluids and then I had like, I still had like another 30 minutes to ride to get my total ride time in. And it was one of those things where I really wanted to like call it a day. Right. And like, go back to the car, be done. I was like, I'm so dehydrated. I did this to myself. I should have worn like a camelback with like all the fluids, but I didn't. But then I thought about, you know, I, this is like such a gift to be out here. And all I want to do is work hard and be on that start line at 70.3 worlds, knowing that I did everything I could to give myself the best possible day there. And even though it's only 30 minutes left, I can get fluids in me and finish this ride. And so I did. Haley, well, dehydration happens to be something that I consider myself a little bit of a specialist in because <laughs> with the, the humidity on the East Coast, it's like, it's, I'm no stranger to it, but I also am just like staring at every single run or like activity that I do as I'm wringing my socks and my like whole outfit out because I'm sweating so much. So I have had to make a concerted effort with being on top of dehydration because I do think like something like that, right? Where if you go and do a ride and you run out of fluids and then you kind of go about your normal day after that, like you'll notice the days afterwards, like you don't feel as good, right? So one of the things that I know I've done is that I have like cleared my schedule more than normal on the weekends after like the big training days that I know are going to be in the heat of the day because all I think that is really helpful after that kind of thing is like being inside in air conditioning and drinking as much noon as I possibly can to be rehydrating. Because even if you had like enough fluids on your bike for that, like chances are you're probably still were pretty dehydrated, even if you like felt like you had just enough. Right. And especially with you in the dry air, like you're not even going to have all the sweat to like notice exactly how how dehydrated you are. That is what happens. I mean, because I have lived, I've lived in Atlanta, I've lived in the humid environment before, and here you don't, you don't get, you're not wringing out your socks, like everything's very dry, and so it kind of just like hits you all at once, and you're like, oh no, but hydration, yeah, it is important, and I like that, I like giving yourself extra time afterwards, and like kind of scheduling it in, it's like when we interviewed Christy Ashwanden about recovery a couple weeks ago, and her talking about having these like recovery practices, I think this time of year, like having, yeah, that cooling off and that rehydrating practice as part of your training day is a really smart idea. 
And then the other thing I do that's not a recovery, but it's like a pre-workout situation. So I've mentioned on the podcast before that I have been working with the nutritionist over at noon to help me fine tune some of my race nutrition using the noon products and things like that. And one of the things I've been implementing this season that I found really, really helpful this summer in particular is preloading the electrolytes on those big days when like, again, I'm going to be out in the heat for like six or seven hours and it's 90, 100 degrees and super humid. So what you can do, Haley, is like when you wake up, kind of a good practice in general anyway, is like kind of simulating race day, you know? So if like I have a big swim bike run on a Saturday, I'm going to get up around the same time I would get up if it was like a race day and I'll make myself go through that routine. And what I've added to the routine is that I drink, I think it's like only eight ounces of water and you do three noon taps. So three noon tabs in your glass of water when you wake up Haley. And that's like, it's basically preloading your electrolytes, right? So for the day, because again, there's no way you're going to be on top of all of that when it's like super, super hot, like it has been. So the more you can get in just like preloaded like that is, has been super helpful. I've noticed an absolute difference. And I think it's, it's helped me not only through the workouts, but then in the recovery afterwards and things like that. So three, three tabs is a little bit like daunting at first. And how does that taste? I mean, does it taste amazing? I I have never actually tried this. So does it taste really good or is it like overwhelming flavor? It's definitely, it's not bad. It's overwhelming. Like if you're very sensitive to tastes, you know, maybe try two at first or something like that. But you know, it's, it's not like, anything I've struggled to drink or anything like that, but it is certainly potent. You know, it's, it's what you think three tabs would taste like, I think. Then do you still drink coffee too? Or are you absolutely just like noon? Only? Oh yeah, no, I still do that. And so like, that's just an addition to what my normal kind of routine was otherwise. So I find that to help. So maybe you can try that out. You have a few weeks still. I might. A big training. I know I, I should try that out. Um, and if any of our listeners want to try that triple your noon fun, you can always go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN to get 30% off. That code could be very useful if you are drinking three noon tabs before breakfast every day. And Haley, we do have a mailbag question that came in. So our listeners, you can always send us mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this came in from Julie, and we both think this is a really good question. So, um, oh, actually... This isn't, I have the wrong one pulled up. Sorry, Julie, we are bringing your question in hopefully next week, but all good questions. This one's from Anna and Anna has a very physically active job and she's a triathlete, right? And so she works actually as a commercial fisherman and a research scuba diver, which is fascinating. So her work days are long, exhausting, and overall pretty taxing. At the end of the day, the last thing she can think of doing is training She barely can even get herself into the shower, um, which I think we can all relate to, but after a long training day, right? Not usually after our work days. So she's trying to maximize her training by running and biking as much as possible on her off days. And she wants to know if there are workouts we would suggest doing that benefit someone who is strong, you know, through those work days, but not necessarily skilled in triathlon. So this is, this is a great question because I think especially for age groupers taking into account like work hours and then what you're doing for work becomes very important as you kind of measure like the overall stress and taxing that you're doing on your body. 
So Alyssa, I have to, I want to like add my own little anecdote here that I actually have, I've had a physically demanding job once Mm -hmm. and it was besides being a professional triathlete. But when I was in college, I actually worked as a librarian. So a small fact here, but at the university of Georgia library, and I worked in the government documents section and there had been a fire like a couple of years before. And so all these books that had been taken out during the fire were being brought in. And I, my job was to like reshelve all these books. And it was so hard, like so physically hard. It was like lifting weights, like all day, every day. And I'd get covered in like soot because these books had come back from the fire and they weren't really like clean. So I can relate a little bit in that I was still trying to swim at that time. And it was so hard because I was exhausted from shelving books all day. And then I tried to go swim and my swimming performance was not as good. So given that, and given what Anna has told us here, I would just say that you have to kind of recognize your work hours are exercise. You know, they are physically demanding. And the benefit of that is that you are probably going to be pretty aerobically fit But the downside, like she said, is the skill part of swim, bike, and run. You're probably not practicing that as well. So I think my advice is probably minimize or maximizing your off time, you know, kind of the skills part of the sport. So the neuromuscular part. So maybe if you can only ride for one hour, ride for one hour and just don't even make it super hard, but maybe do some like spin ups or some low RPM work, some drills. Um, Same with running, do some strides. And swimming, just like the feel of the water, like focus on that versus hitting specific times or mileage goals. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also say, you know, obviously there's a a lot of details we could continue to ask to get all the specifics here. But if you are working, you know, around five days a week at a job that's like long and physically active, you are doing great endurance training as well, right? So like if I guess we don't know what kind of race distance that you are looking to race, but even if you're looking to race an Ironman, you know, if you're doing a full day of work, multiple days of work, that's like physically taxing, that's your endurance training. That's great. You know, you don't need to necessarily, in my opinion, go out on the weekends and like do all this swim, bike, run to build endurance because you've already done that for all of your work days, right? So you could spend time on your weekends, like actually probably having to catch up on some sleep and like doing some more of the recovery and the rest focus and still do some workouts, but they can probably be like a little bit shorter, even maybe more intensity than you would get doing work. Um, You'd have to kind of like maybe look at your days and figure out like, are you doing aerobically really hard stuff? Or is that something you would want to fit in a short, hard session on the weekends to try and get, you know, something like that. But I think uh, triathletes often fall into the trap of just trying to pile on everything because, you know, that's the personalities that love the sport a lot of times. But I think this is definitely a great time when maybe it's best to like take a step back and really look at how strong your work is making you and then give yourself a little bit of time back on the weekends is probably a good thing. That's like my first hunch, I think, for for Anna. It's a great question. And uh we thank Anna for writing in with her question. If anyone else has questions, you can write into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and we'll get to your question in the upcoming weeks. And Haley, we have a great interview up for everyone this week. We talked to Nell Rojas. So people might recognize her name because she recently won the Grandma's Marathon, which is like one of the, you know, marathons we all pay attention to, to see who the top runners are this year, that kind of thing. But she broke out onto the marathon scene last December when she ran a 231 
at California International Marathon. And that was her first marathon, and it qualified her for the 2020 Olympic trials. She also has run at Northern Arizona. She ran steeplechase there. She's been like a pretty run-focused runner, but she also had been a professional triathlete. And so in our interview, we talked to her a little bit about figuring out kind of which path she was going to follow, the marathon or the professional triathlete path. And also, since we have talked to Nell, they did announce a big change to the qualifying for the Olympic team for the marathon. And so uh, previously you needed to rate, Haley may have to help me out here. You had to run the Olympic standard and it would be the first people over the line who had both run the Olympic standard, which was sub 230 and like in order of finish, I guess. Right. But you needed that box checked. Yes. You could either check the box by running a certain time, like running, or you could get like top 10 at, you know, one of the world marathon majors. So at the New York city marathon, Chicago marathon, or, uh, London, Berlin, those marathons, like those would qualify you or you could run a time, but it wouldn't necessarily be the top three people across the line at the trials in Atlanta in February that would qualify for the Olympic spot. That was the old rules. The new that rules. That was the old rules. Right. So the new rule, rule now it's like a golden golden race or something like that. It's called for USA track and field, I guess, is sanctioning this. So now top three people across the line are going to be on the Olympic marathon team, which makes the race like very, very exciting. And we already know that there's going to be a a nice deep field. Tons of women are running and it's going to be a super, super fun race to follow along with in February in Atlanta. And uh, I think after listening to our conversation with Nell, you'll be rooting for her alongside us. So here's our chat with Nell after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Nell. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. So we want to kind of jump right in and go into talking about Grandma's Marathon, which congratulations was your big win recently. And going into that, I read that your goal was to make the Olympic A standard, which would be a time of 229.30. And you said Mm -hmm. that you didn't really expect to win. Like you just were focused on getting that time and getting that standard for yourself. So can you walk us through that race and like, at which point did you suddenly realize that you were actually running for the win or did you never even kind of let that take focus? 
Yeah. No. So like before the race, there were definitely a couple people that were like, no, like, I think you're going to win this race. And I was like, um, whatever, you know, like I was like, okay, (laughs) I was pretty focused on like my race plan and my splits and what I was doing. But when we started the race, um, it was me and then like four four other girls that um, were around me, but then there's always non-elite guys that run in that group. And, you know, we started and I usually, you know, I, I always start out very conservatively and I make sure, you know, I check in with my breathing and I make sure it's not labored and I check in with my legs and, you know, I'm looking at my watch and I'm trying to like, you know, really relax and stay focused. Although I do look around me and, you know, monitor the other girls as well. So like, I'm like, okay, that girl is working way too hard. You know, you can tell from her body language and I'm like, that girl, um, is breathing too hard. Like, and it's, it's very easy to tell. And so I think it was about like 10 K where I was like looking around and I was like, man, like, I was like, you, you never know what can happen in a marathon. And I understand that, but I was really like, you know, like, I feel really good. I feel really relaxed. Like I was just cruising and I was like, I could probably win this thing because these girls are, they're putting a lot of effort out right now. I didn't necessarily think I was going to win it. So I just, you know, I continued and then every like water station, we would all, um, like half of us would go to like the elite fluid station and half of us would go to the non-elite fluid station. And then we'd all come back together and run together again. And I think about halfway through, we came back and it was just me and um, actually one of my friends from Boulder. And he's a guy and no one else was with us. And I was like, I don't know what just happened there, but like, we got to stay on our pace. And I think we started dropping the pace a little bit. And then I think they backed up or they kind of went a little bit slower. And at that point, I was like, I was feeling really good and really relaxed. It was me and this one, my friend, and he's like six foot two. And I knew we had the same goal. And so I was just like, I was like, voucher. I was like, um, can, do you mind if I just like tuck behind you? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, 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 just like pay me later. And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was like, whatever you want, man. Like I'll, I'll buy you like 10 dinners. I don't care. So I like tucked behind him. I was just like staring at his, the back of his head for like three miles probably three or four miles. I can't really remember. And then all of a sudden he like starts like backing off. And I was like, uh, voucher, what are you doing? (laughs) I was like, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't leave me here. And so he dropped back. And, and so I was just like looking at my watch and like trying to hit the splits that I had planned. And at that point I still had like nine miles to go and I was by myself and I was like, wow, this is going to be a brutal nine miles. But then, you know, I thought I was like, you know what? I train because I train on my own by myself every day. You know, I do these 20 mile long runs by myself and I push myself pretty hard. And I was like, I do this all the time. Like this isn't any different and it's not any harder. So at that point I was, I felt, I felt good. And I, and I kind of knew that like, I didn't really know where the girls were behind me, but I thought I had dropped them. But so, so yeah. And now you mentioned this conservative start following your paces. And I did look up, you know, your, your finish time was a two twenty eight Oh six. You got that Olympic standard. Mm-hmm. But what I also found was fascinating was you split a one fifteen at the half 
And mm -hmm. then your second half was a 112.58. So <laughs> yeah. you negative split. And what's even more impressive was that your previous half marathon PR came just earlier this year at the U.S. Half Marathon Champs in Pittsburgh, yeah. where you finished eighth in a 114. So we're talking your first half at Grandma's was only a minute slower than your half marathon PR. And then your second half was a full minute faster. I mean, yeah. was, was that planned? No. So my goal was 229.30. But I knew that if I had a good day, I could run 540s. And so, you know, I was like, I'm going to start conservatively as I did in, at my first marathon in CIM. And I ran fast doing that. So I was like, I'm just going to start conservatively. And if I feel good, like I'll push it. I ended up feeling good. So, so yeah, I didn't know that wasn't planned. And, um, you know, I was very happy about that. But, you know, another thing I think is good about that is that it means that if I do kind of equal them out a little bit more, maybe I can run a little bit faster. It's also fun to hear you talk about, you know, the, the strategy of patience, I guess, as you're kind of approaching the new distance. And, like mm -hmm. you said, it's grandma's was just your second crack at the marathon distance with CIM, California, Inter California International Marathon. That's what it is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I say yeah. CIM mm -hmm. so many times. And that was last December. And there you had a breakout 231. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, you, you clearly have picked this strategy that was that was great, but you've had such success in just six months racing at this new distance. So what has that been like? And did you always kind of feel like the marathon distance could be your wheelhouse? No, <laughs> I, I, I was never really even interested in the marathon. Like my dad is my coach and he has always been, he's very like speed oriented. Like he was a really good 15 K runner, um, in his younger days. And he ran a couple marathons, never really figured them out. So he like, now he like coaches a lot of sprinters and he like really advocates for speed work and sprints and blah, blah, blah. And so he's always been like, wanted me to do like 5Ks, 10Ks. So like basically since this past marathon, I've been like 5K, 10K, you know, and, and I've been focusing on building a business for the last, you know, seven years or something. And finally I was like, you know what? Like I want to be competitive again and I want to race. And so I was going to get back into Ironman because I was a triathlete before. And I was like, and I coached some triathletes and I was like, okay, if I really want to coach them well, and if I really want to market myself as an Ironman coach, like I better do one, you know, and, and I wanted to do well at it because I think I could do well at an Ironman. So I signed up for CIM in preparation to do, I wanted to do Boulder Ironman this summer. And then, so really like going into it, like my dad was like, now I just want you to like jog this. He was like, seriously, he was like, start at 615 pace. And I was like, um, I don't think I can. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I started out conservatively. I started out like five fifty. I don't know, like five pace or something, but yeah. And then, so I finished the marathon and I didn't really, I honestly knew so little or about marathons that like, I didn't understand that I ran a good time. Like I knew I did pretty well. Like I knew it was okay. But like when I finally understood like that, it was like a very decent opening like time I was like oh I I am just like so happy I don't have to do an Ironman like that was like my first reaction <laughs> so so yeah I was I was very surprised and um I, I still kind of am like I 
I know it's a fast time. I know 228 is fast, but it didn't feel like it should be like, to me, it felt really smooth. It felt like something like a lot of people should be able to do. <laughs> and just for our listeners who are listening to, you know, things like start conservatively at 615 pace and you say, you know, you really couldn't, you were around 555, that sort of thing. And their jaws are dropping in disbelief. Just know that like, <laughs> even for Haley and myself, you know, like there is nothing about a 615 pace. I think that would be conservative oh. in our Ironman world. You were so laughing? yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh. That's that's like a pretty good 5K pace for me these days, I feel like. So. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> but now we, we do want to talk to you a lot more about, about your triathlon background and your diversion from Ironman. I think that is fascinating. <laughs> but going, you know, continuing on this marathon theme for a little bit longer, mm-hmm. your, your time at Grandma's, it landed you, I think you have the 10th fastest time among American women qualified for the 2020 Olympic trials. And those trials are happening in just seven months. So it'll be happening February 29th, 2020 in mm-hmm. Atlanta, Georgia. And there's been a lot of talk about the course being a three loop hilly course. And mm-hmm. I actually lived in Atlanta for almost a decade and I can add that yes that city has some hills and and honestly the weather in February could be could be either way you could have a fairly cold day yeah do you think those kinds of challenges make that course more appealing to you and do you think maybe you have a shot at making that Tokyo Olympic team so I've run two marathons they're both net downhill you know fast courses but I am like every time I like make a gap between really anyone or even like men or like at CIM, it was men. It's always on health. And I think because I'm so strength oriented and I do do a lot of strength work, I am good at health. Um, I have, I just have, I feel like I have a lot of power in, in my step. And so I'm not scared of a hilly course. And I think that that will benefit me. I haven't checked the course out yet. I, I want to go down there maybe sometime in October to kind of check it out. But do I think I have a shot? I think, yeah, yeah, I think I have a shot. And that's, you know, I have to believe I have a shot. And the thing about that is, is that if you look at, you know, three of the girls that are, you know, qualified with the the Olympic standard, um, you know, at least three of them are going to be injured. They're not going to make it because if you look at statistics, like that's just how it goes. I think that I can run a little bit faster. And I think, you know, that day, I think a lot of girls are going to go out too fast. And I think like my patience is going to come into play. So in the past, like, you know, within the last year, you've gone from shifting your goals from like, I think I should do an Ironman to be able to like continue (laughs) building my business to like, I want a spot on the Olympic team. Right. Right. So like, (laughs) right. And you seem quite confident and you're owning that goal, right? Like you're, you're clearly into it and you're going to do the preparation and all of that, that surrounds it. So like Mm -hmm. mentally, how have you, do you have like any practices or any, you know, tips for our listeners to really like owning their goals and how do you kind of approach that? Do you do something on a daily basis or anything like that? Yeah. Like mentally, I I would say that like, this sounds silly, but you know, how I approach every, every race and every one of my goals, this is a kind of an exception, but is I 
you know, like coming into, I did, um, like you said, half marathon championships. I won the Boulder Boulder, which is a big 10 K race in Boulder and how I come into all of those, you know, that's been a goal for, for my whole life is that I just say, you know what? I know, I know what I can run. I know my numbers in practice. I'm like, I'm not going to set, I'm not going to like plan to have a breakout race. I think a lot of people do, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I think I can run this. And, and it, and it's like, no, just, just make a really conservative goal and shoot for that. And then, you know, halfway through the race or depending on what race it is, like if you feel good, you can go for it and you could still have a great race, but you have to be patient is the thing. Like run where you are then like, and, um, usually that, that, you know, I'm a coach as well. And usually that will like create success and athletes will be more happy that way. And, you know, if an athlete comes to me and they're like, I want to qualify for Boston, for example, because that's a tough one because it's one number and there's people that you're like, like, you're like, well, that's 30 minutes. You have to like drop 30 minutes, you know? And you're like, okay, maybe not this year, but maybe in four or five years, like let's work towards that. So this next marathon, you're going to like, literally I'll tell him like, kind of like my dad, like be like, you are going to jog it, you know, like you're going to run seven minute paces. You're going to feel good. And then the last 10 K, you know, you can pick it up or whatever. So I would say just be realistic. And, but this, this Olympic trials goal is, yeah, that's a little different because, or this Olympic goal, because it is, it's like huge. Right. But you know, and it's going to be hard, but I don't see why, you know, going, going along with that, my real true goal and what I've been saying all these interviews is that my real true goal is 2024 because I did just start the marathon and I think I do have some improvement to make and I can make improvement, but it's not going to, you know, I, I think I can improve for another five years and then race like that for another five years. If you look at statistics, that's kind of what females can do. And so, so my, my real, real, real like goal is 2024. And of course I'm going to go for it this time because you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah. Well, you obviously speak like a coach and I think every coach <laughs> listening to this, Alyssa and I are also coaches. So is like, yeah. yes, I'm going to send this to all of my athletes about <laughs> setting, you know, setting these goals, giving yourself a timeline and then, and, and you, you practice what you preach. I mean, that's amazing. But I wanted to ask a little bit about your own coach. You mentioned your dad, Rick Rojas, um, coaches you. And he was one of the America's top road racers in the 1970s and early 1980s. So I can imagine that having someone who knows you that well as your coach can be a huge benefit, but there also could be some challenges. Can you tell us a little bit about your dynamic with your father? Yeah. I mean, so, so my dad has probably coached me almost the whole time since I graduated college, um, even through triathlons, even though he doesn't know anything about swimming or biking, like <laughs> because like we kind of figured it out together and he just applies the same principles. He's a really smart guy. And it's funny. We also like kind of work together. Uh, we're coaches together. He's my coach. And so there was a period where, um, when I was a triathlete and like, I mean, triathletes, like I was doing like 25 to 30 hours of training a week. And I was like always in a bad mood and just pissed at him for everything <laughs> because like I was pissed at every, I mean, it was so hard. And 
So th- there was a point actually where we we didn't talk for a year because it we like got in such a big fight and that was over just who knows what, you know, um, crossing lines between being a dad and a coach and a coworker and a boss and everything. Um, but now, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. And my dad is really uh, patient with me <laughs> because, you know, I mean, going into CIM, I was like, dad, you didn't train me hard enough. I'm going to do terrible. I was like, I didn't do enough. I peaked peak too early or I taper too much, you know, I was like pissed at him, you know? And then after the race, I finished, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'll just listen to whatever you say. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And, um, I mean, I slowly, like, he's always told me all these things, you know, like he's always telling, you know, teaching me and, um, and I'm slowly like learning that like, Oh, he's actually right. When he says that, you know, like he, like, I'm like, what? And so, um, you know, he's, he backs me off at the right times and he ha- he really has obviously like my best interest at heart. And he has, he, he's like now, like you're going to do this for the next 10 to 12 years. I'm looking like, you know, he has my longevity in his mind and he's in no rush and he's, you know, one of the most positive people and obviously really excited for me. So it, it can be hard sometimes, and, and I, we bicker, but it works out. <laughs> and so now we're going to talk a little bit about your triathlon days. So this happened for you, I believe, after running at Northern Arizona University. Um, and so it sounds like kind of post-collegiately you were dabbling in a few sports, like obstacle racing even, and then you picked up triathlon. And I, mm-hmm. I believe you were racing professionally even for a bit. So can mm-hmm. you tell us, like, expand on your time in triathlon, and was it something that you just, you know, kind of wanted to do like as an adult athletically after college, or did you always kind of have that competitive mindset in mind from day one with triathlon? How did that go? Yeah. So coming out of college, you know, NAU now and back then too, but now more so is like the powerhouse of running, right? It's like, I mean, it has the, some of the best runners and it's a really good program and but looking back on it now, it's like, I cannot believe how hard they trained us. Like, I was like, that was not productive, you know, and, 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 you know, you get some really good results off of that. And I ran fairly decent there. Um, but, but coming out of it, the guy was like, I, I mean, I qualified for regionals, NCAA division one regionals, my, my senior year. And I was like, damn, I hope I don't make to nationals. Like I was like, I, cause I can't train for another two or three weeks, you know? So I was, I was kind of like kind of done running. And so I come home and my dad's like, no, like, I think you'd be a great triathlete. Um, here, here's my like Le Mans. It's a steel frame from like the seventies. Um, I'm like, okay, you know, well, I'll try it out. And, um, so I started trying it and, uh, I, I mean, I, I immediately loved it and it immediately like refreshed my like competitive energy and like my like, uh, desire and passion for competing. Um, and I absolutely, I loved it. So I was, you know, young at that point and then took me one or two years to get my pro card. And then, you know, I think I got to like my mid twenties and it just, it's so expensive. Like coaching is $400 a month. A bike is $10,000 traveling with your bike is 
to every race you go to. It's just, it's, and so I, I quit triathlons when I ran a protein powder one day and I was like, you know what? Like I can't afford new protein powder. So I was like, I, I, like, I had no choice. I had to quit. Um, so that, that was that. And, um, I never really like once I quit, I, I really didn't miss it. I was pretty miserable at the end there. Um, just like supporting myself. And, and so, but like, I think triathlon is one of the reasons why I have such a big engine and why I can push myself so hard. And, you know, swimming is, I swim twice a week, twice, two or three times a week. And I think that plays a huge role in me not getting injured and uh, lung control and like full body fitness. And so, and I learned to swim to do triathlon. So I give it like tons of credit. It's so interesting to, you know, to hear this perspective and, and Alyssa and I will, we love that you still swim and the breath control part. Cause we get a lot of questions on breath control here that people say, ah, oh, it doesn't help you as much. So to hear amazing marathoners uh-huh. swimming helps with running is fascinating news, but yeah. great news for us. But I do kind of want to ask about like when you decided to, uh, to get back into triathlon, like just this past year, when you said you were training for that, for Ironman Boulder and the relief you felt when you ran really fast and you didn't have to do the Ironman. <laughs> I mean, like what, like, what was it that got, were you going to race pro at Ironman Boulder or were you going to race age group? Was it just for the experience and, and kind of, you know, like how, so how much were you training going into that? that you just, and then you run this really fast marathon time and you abandon all of that. Is that kind of, is that what happened or was it different? Um, kind of like I hadn't started training for the Ironman because it was going to be, so it was December CIM and the Ironman's in like June. I should, I should have probably been training for it. But I had I hadn't started. I was you just were running. On. You were obviously running. I was running and swimming and, and twice like, a week. Twice a week. And I also I also bike. Um I do throw in bikes um because um that's part of my cross training and it's part of my training. Yeah. Um but I I hadn't like started specifically training for Ironman. Um and I you know I I was gonna pick a race to try to like yeah, get my pro card back. And, uh, you know, the most thing that stressed me out was like, I was like, I have to buy a bike. Like I would, I would have to like buy another tri bike, which was like so expensive. Um, and so basically I was like, Oh my God, I don't have to buy a bike. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so it wasn't so. the idea of the distance. It wasn't the logistics no. or anything like that. It is the cost. It's that's it. It's the cost. I mean, if I was a millionaire, I would, I would have never quit triathlons. Yeah. And so Nell, you've touched a little bit on the fact that like you, you know, came out of this collegiate running career and you were pretty hard trained in the running department. Right. But then, so you found swimming and biking to maybe help you offset and you obviously kept running, but you've also mentioned a couple times that you do like a lot of strength and you consider yourself kind of more of a strength athlete. So I think I even read somewhere that you just, you don't really do particularly high mileage and you rely a lot on that strength training. So can you tell us a little bit more about that philosophy with that? And like, does that mean, you know, heavy weights? Does that mean five days a week you're in the gym? Like, how do you, what mm-hmm. does that mean? I guess for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, what, what has, 
I mean, I've been doing strength training since I was in middle school. Um, and so I have a pretty good base on it. So I, I'm able to lift pretty heavy and it won't fatigue my legs that much. And, um, you know, I, my movements are pretty um, safe because I know what I'm doing. So I lift two heavy days and one day is just basically um, squats is like squat focused. And I always do plyos after my squats. So I do things like, um, you know, box jumps, single leg box jumps, um, a lot of like med ball throw things. Um, and then, um, my second strength day is basically focused on like cleans. So I do Olympic lifts, um, which I love. I think they're really fun to do. And I think they really help me like recruit muscles and, you know, I'm, um, be very coordinated with, you know, okay, I'm going to fire this muscle. I'm going to, you know, um, and then deadlifts that day, um, with, a, with some plyos. Um, and then my third day, I do one more day and it's light, it's all kettlebells and it's more of like, um, it's like an hour long aerobic. So my heart rate stays like my heart rate probably stays like around 130 the whole hour. And so that's basically a substitution for a run and I'll do, you know, continuous things, um, Imams every minute on the minute, I'll do like 15 swings for 10 minutes and then 15 cleans for 10 minutes. And then, um, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, so that's what my strength looks like. Um, and yeah, my mileage, you know, it oscillates between 60 and 75 miles a week. And I do think that because I do that strength and the cross training, I don't need to go any more than that. And are you using the swim and the bike mostly for recovery aspect at this point? Or, you know, do you get out there and do like a hard swim set? Or is it more of like a, a shake out after a long run or something like that? Mm -hmm. I do both. So I do. So I, I, I swim with Boulder Masters Aquatics, which I also coach for. And um, like a lot of times I'll like be like, oh, I'm going to like so much easier to swim with people. So I'll swim with them. And I'm like, I go like yesterday. I'm like, I am going to go, but I am not going to leave the lane. I am going to go in the back and I'm going to swim easy. <laughs> Almost every time I'm leading the lane for one reason or another, you know, like, and I'm like, Oh, have it again. So, so swimming, sometimes I go hard, but a lot of it is pretty easy. Um, like I, do, I will do like a recovery 30 minute, easy, super easy after my long run. And I think that, I mean, injury prevention is huge right there. Um, just to take the weight off a little bit and get them moving around. And then the bike right now, I mean, it, it's been easy for a long time. Um, I might start adding some, some intervals in. Mm -hmm. And this unconventional kind of training that you do, is it hard to like keep doing that when it, we're in this age of social media, when we can see everything that everyone else is doing. And a lot of your competitors are bragging, you know, are bragging or just posting about high mileage about, you know, these squads that they're in. Um, and here you are by yourself kind of doing your own thing with strength, with swimming, with running, you know, and running lower mileage. Like, is that ever hard? I'm at the point where I'm like, I feel that I have the advantage <laughs> that like, cause it's like, cause because I'm a coach, you know, and I coach a lot of athletes, it's like, 
it's hard to convince someone to train like this because people want to run a lot of miles. That's what makes them feel confident and that's what makes them feel comfortable and that's where they think they're going to get the benefit. So like at this point, I'm like seriously like, wow, like no one is ever going to pick up on this. So basically I'm pretty safe, you know? I'm like, great. <laughs> no one's ever going to pick up on this. And that's why everyone is going to be injured. <laughs> <laughs> what about in your coaching? I mean, you work with middle school and high school aged runners. Are you able to get them to buy into your same kind of plan? Um, some of them, some of them. I really try hard. And my dad and I, we coach, we have a big uh, high school and middle school group in Boulder. We, we do lose some athletes. We lose some really talented middle schoolers and really talented high schoolers in the past because, and they go to the, they go to like the other club because they don't want to train like that, or they want to train way harder than we're having them train. So in college at NAU, um, you race the steeplechase and I personally love this event and it's always so exciting to watch. There's clearly like a little bit of a wider skill set in a runner than many traditional track and field events like tend to have. Right. And so we actually had a question come in from one of our patrons. So on Iron Women, we are supported by a Patreon campaign and our listeners can go to patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And one of the benefits of one of the levels is that you can actually ask a question to one of our guests. And so we had a question from patron Nicole. So thanks, Nicole. And she's curious about um, which discipline did steeplechase in college help you with the most triathlon, obstacle course racing, or the marathon? Like, how did you translate that steeplechase skill set into what you've done post collegiately? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, Steeple is definitely more strength-based than than any other running event. I would say, like, most of if it were to translate to anything. First of all, I wouldn't do a steeple right now because I think I would die. <laughs> um, but definitely obstacle course racing. I mean, in obstacle course racing, you're, like, throwing your body over who knows what. You're like, you do like do something hard and then you start running again. And so it's like, it's like a steeplechase on like the biggest steroids in the world. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we see people making quite a bit of money in obstacle course racing these days. Would, would you ever maybe, you know, after 2024, you go to Paris, you have an amazing <laughs> marathon there, get a medal. Would you ever go back to obstacle course racing? <laughs> so yeah, actually, you know, it's funny you say that because, um, like my best friends are all obstacle course racers and Nicole Miracle, who's one of the best in the world. She's my best friend. And the reason I tried obstacle course racing is because, well, first of all, everyone's like, wow, you're really, you look really strong. You'd be good at obstacle course racing. I'm like, yeah. And then second of all, like she would leave for the weekends and she'd come home with like so much money. She's like huge cash in flux on the weekend. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, okay. I'm it took me a couple of years, but I was like, I'm going to try one of these things, you know, might as well. And, um, so I went and I actually, I beat her on the first one. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to dominate this and I'm going to become a professional obstacle course racer and I'm going to earn money. And because she doesn't work and you know, there's a lot of money in it. Like you said, it's like insane. And so I had these really big plans to just 
like she does live in a van and obstacle course race, right? <laughs> and then um, uh, it was, was it, was Jacksonville must have been right before, right, or it was in February, December, January. So it was after my marathon, I went to Jacksonville to do a, a obstacle course, a Spartan race. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like there was mud up to my waist and I was like, I fell on every single obstacle. And like, it, I was like probably running like 25 minute per mile pace. Like it was terrible. And I actually injured myself at that race because the, the ground is just so uneven that your casts just like fall up. Um, and after I came back from that, you know, I was like, okay, I have like a lot of work to do, like grip strength work and whatever kind of work to do, you know, like terrain work. Um, and I was like, I, and, and I can't, and I was like, I can't get afford, to, I can't afford to get injured anymore, you know? And I, I can, I can do, this will be here, you know, this will be here if, you know, I don't make the Olympics or, or whatever. Um, so I, after, yes, I would love to do it. Um, I think I could be really good at it and I think it would be really fun. And I think like I could earn some money. So, yeah. (laughs) I do have to say, you sound much more excited talking about that than you ever did when you were talking about Ironman training. So, (laughs) oh my God, it's miserable. Well, Nell, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Um, I do want to find out how can our listeners best follow your journey to the trials in February 2020? Oh, yeah. So I have about 25 Instagram accounts because I am really terrible at social media. <laughs> and um, but um, I think it's called I, my Instagram is Nell Rojas running. And so that's where I'll be posting things. And um, so, yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm very like, I feel very lucky and to have a lot of support. So, well, best of luck now. We'll be sure to link to your accounts into our show notes so we can, all of our listeners can follow you, but thank you again for, for sharing a little bit about your journey and, and we'll be cheering for you headed to Atlanta. Yeah. Thank you guys. That was great talking to you. <laughs> Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Alyssa, that was pretty cool. I think that's our first time having a patron question on the show. I believe you're right. And so for our listeners, we do have our Patreon campaign going at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And for those supporters who come in to support us at the true feisty fan level or above, uh, one of the perks is that you get to find out kind of who's coming on the show and you can offer questions to us to ask to our um, our guests as we have them, which is super fun for us. And it's great to know kind of what you want to hear from them on. And hopefully it's fun for you too. So thank you, Nicole, for all of your support and for being an outstanding patron. Yeah, it was a great question, Nicole. And if, if you are a patron right now at the true feisty fan, which I believe is a $10 a month level or above, 
you can always email Sarah at livefeisty.com to find out who is on our upcoming schedule and submit your question. All right, Haley. Well, good luck with your training this week. And I look forward to hearing about your experiences with the, the three noon tabs before your workouts next week. I will keep you posted. I know I'm, I'm, I'm dead set on finding out how to have better hydration and because it's a terrible feeling when you like get totally dehydrated out there and you're struggling to finish your workouts. But you know, it's, it's a, it's part of the sport. So I'm always learning and I'll keep you posted for sure. Have a good week, Haley. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe like and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queens.